Welcome to the analysis. I'm Greg Wilpert. Today we'll revisit the situation in Bolivia, where conditions remain tense about eight months since leftist Luis Arce became president. Prosecutors are going after the pre uh, previous coup government of Janine Añez, who had ousted left-wing President Evo Morales in November 2019 and unleashed a wave of violence against Morales' supporters, killing dozens and injuring and arresting hundreds. Last March, police arrested former coup President Janine Añez herself, together with many of her ministers and leaders of the national police and the military, who are being accused of human rights abuses during her government. Meanwhile, last week, the online publication The Intercept revealed details of a second coup plot that was supposed to have prevented Luis Arce from assuming presidency last November. In the end, nothing came of that plot, and Arce took office uneventfully. Joining me now to discuss these and other recent developments in Bolivia is Ali Vargas. He's a journalist with Casachan News and is currently based in, in Cochabamba, Bolivia. Thanks for being here, Ali. Thanks for having me on, uh, Greg, and it's great to be able to discuss these issues. Um, and I'm glad Bolivia hasn't fallen out of, uh, <coughs> out of public conversation because what's going on now, the process of, of getting justice for the coup, for getting justice for the abuses, for the torture, for the massacres of last year, is an incredibly important process for the whole region. You know, I think this can send a message throughout Latin America about the, you know, the fact that if coups such as these pop up again, as they have done, and as they are threatening to, um, you know, currently, then there will be consequences. There will be justice brought down on those responsible. So the process of uncovering what really happened, um, enacting, you know, enacting justice, I think, is a, is a historical moment for, for the region. Now, I wanted to exactly ask you a little bit more detail about that. I mean, the Organization of American States, Human Rights Watch, and the Washington Post have all actually condemned uh, the Luis Arce government's actions, or particularly the prosecutors, um, saying, uh, saying that they're basically overstepping their boundaries and that they don't have a case, essentially. So uh, just uh, tell us, what are they being, that is, what are the uh, Janine Añez uh, and, and her uh, government officials, what are they being accused of? And what do you think this means for uh, Bolivia at the moment? Yeah, I think um, it's disappointing to see the way in which, uh, but perhaps not surprising to see the way that organizations such as Human Rights Watch, these US-based NGOs, um, the U.S. government itself, through its Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, uh, condemning the Bolivian government for, uh, particularly for the arrest of Henry Añez, who was the, you know, the president last year, the de facto president last year. Um, it's disappointing because what are they suggesting that there should be impunity for what happened last year? Bolivia last year went through an incredibly serious uh, political crisis, which wasn't a case of sort of a conflict between two sides. What took place was that one you know, uh, one side, if you will, seized power 
through non-democratic means, not at the ballot box. And a right-wing minority uh, governed the country for almost a year without having ever won a vote. And now, within 10 days of taking power in November 2019, they launched two massacres. They killed numerous other protests and uh, protesters in different other different parts of the country. You know, at these massacres, they're... There were military helicopters flying at 40 to 50 meters over the ground, shooting indiscriminately at the population. There were hundreds of people with serious life-changing in injuries. Um, so many died, you know, long after the, the repressions took place from the injuries that they sustained that day. And what, after those massacres, there was a, you know, a, a concerted campaign, a very organised campaign of political persecution against every, anyone and everyone who identified with Eva Morales' party, the movement towards socialism, the party that, you know, since 2005 has won every single general election. So that, this was a campaign of political persecution against the majority of Bolivians. Any union leaders, indigenous leaders were either forced into exile, forced into hiding, in, in the case of... Uh, the union lead in the Department of Santa Cruz for the Central Obrera Boliviana, which is the main sort of labor union confederation, he disappeared for a year. He had to go into hiding. People were threatening to burn down his home. People were looting his union offices. So right-wing gangs affiliated with the Agnes government were looting the union offices. He was forced into hiding. Others, you know, lived the entire year with charges hanging over them. Um, you know, here in Cochabamba, one of the most prominent union leaders, Coca Grow union leaders, Andronico Rodriguez. You know, by the time the Anya's government fell, he had almost 20 different sort of uh, invented charges hanging over him, including for things such as terrorism and sedition, uh, for, for example, calling Henny Anya's a coup president. That was considered terrorism and sedition. These are the sorts of charges that were sort of sprayed, that were sprayed thousands of people last year. Over 500 people were were detained on political charges over last year. So how can you say that there, there cannot be a process of justice, that there, the crimes are not committed? And I think the charges that are being presented against Henny and Anya's at the moment um, are very straightforward charges, charges that are presented in, for example, in the United States. So they center on sort of three main things. Uh, the main one is her participation in the coup d'etat in November 2019. There was not, whenever Morales was forced to resign by the military, there was not a constitutional succession um, that took place. And therefore conspiring to break the constitutional order is a crime in every single country with a government, you know, with a, with a, with a functioning state. And in fact, at the moment, there are hundreds of people being charged with with these sorts of uh, crimes in the United States for their assault on the Capitol building. Another of the charges are for the rampant corruption there was last year. Um, at the height of the pandemic, there was a very serious case of, uh, sort of embezzlement of funds destined for, to, for the purchase of COVID-19 ventilators uh, to the tune of millions. So all of these things are, are, you know, they're not political charges. There are crime. There are things that are considered crimes in every single country, all around the world. And 
to say that there should be impunity for these acts, I think, is sets a very dangerous precedent for the region, because then future Heninanyes wannabes, uh, which I think we're seeing right now in Peru, in fact, will think that they can do this with impunity as well. If we can bring justice against all of the people who broke the constitutional order in Bolivia, I think the whole region will be in, in a much more uh, will be a much more democratic environment. Remember, a number of Anya sympathizers and former government officials, apparently uh, led by Anya's defense minister, Luis Fernando Lopez, discussed a plan for members of the military, the police, and mercenaries that are based in the U.S. to try to overthrow the government before Arce could take office, in order to prevent him from taking office, obviously. Um, the Internet apparently has the phone recordings and emails that substantiate this plan, um, but the plan was never actually executed. Now, how has this uh, revolution, ha a revelation, has it been um, uh, recounted? I mean, has it, has it been made public in, in Bolivia? And, and if so, uh, what does it say about the stability or instability of the Arce government, uh, assuming that uh, most of this is probably true? Yeah, that's right. If we remember the after a year of Henny Nazians in power and all of the persecution that I outlined just now, Despite all of the repression, all the attempts to wipe out the movement towards socialism as a political force, the first opportunity that Bolivians had to, to express themselves politically at the ballot box in October 2020, the movement towards socialism won with a landslide. They won with 55% up against uh, around 28% for the second place uh, pro-coup candidate Carlos Mesa. So it was an overwhelming mandate to govern. Uh, so there was a small gap, of course, as in most countries, between the moment of, of the day of an election and the day of where the new government takes power. And there was a period of about a couple of months in Bolivia. And in that time, the defense minister, Fernando Lopez, who, you know, was a, is one of the people responsible for the massacres that took place in 2019, he suggested uh, enacting essentially a self-coup, that is to say, launching a second coup against his own government, um, or rather with his own government, to establish essentially a junta and to stop Luis Arce from taking power. And part of this plan was to hire hundreds of mercenaries from the United States to come in and work with a, a tiny number of elite military units to sort of take control of key state institutions and then on the streets they would have uh, sort of paramilitary fascist gangs that were activated in 2019 to sort of you know uh, fight the battle on the streets and these groups such as Resistencia Juvenil Cochala, Unión Juvenil Cruzanista who in 2019 were the foot soldiers of the anti-Evo Morales protests uh, people who unleashed extraordinary violence particularly against indigenous people so that was the plan, and uh, according to uh, the conversations that were had, there were a number of government ministers who, who wanted to, you know, to launch this, to enact this. However, the military itself was sceptical that this was, you know, this, that this was a credible plan, 
and eventually the you know it came to nothing. Fernando Lopez himself escapes Bolivia to Brazil the day that uh, Luis Arce takes power uh, in November, where he is currently living today, in, uh, under the protection of, of the Bolsonaro government in Brazil. So yeah, I think this this sent, this definitely sent shockwaves through Bolivia. This you know gave another uh, it was another reason for people to to see that what took place in Bolivia was a coup. That these are people who did not take power through democratic means, and they were trying to hold on to it through non-democratic means. And this. It, you know, it, as soon as people heard it, as soon as people heard the details of what that planned, people immediately knew that, that it was true. This is absolutely in character for figures such as Fernando Lopez, Arturo Murillo, Henry Nañez, um, and the way that they governed the whole last year, right? They governed <coughs> as a tiny minority uh, party um, that ne had never they never even reached the heights of becoming the second largest opposition party. But somehow they had to govern the country for a year, almost without any political allies. And by the end, Hernán has left power with about 7 or 8% approval ratings. Um, today, everyone who you know supported the coup and was with her at the beginning pretends that they weren't. It was, you know, that very little um, social base within on the streets. Uh, certainly none that was mobilizing by the end so they were in a very precarious position and the only way they could govern was as a tiny minority terrorizing the majority and this is I think what the what the the plan reveals now um, President Luis Arce um, as we mentioned represents the movement towards socialism the mass and he used to be finance minister under Evo Morales uh, and uh, he recently actually was able to celebrate a success of sorts. I mean, despite all of these problems that we're talking about, he was able to uh, celebrate a success with the March 7 regional elections. Talk about uh, this result uh, of the uh, regional elections, what it means for ASA and uh, for the political situation in Bolivia at the moment. Well, I think the, the March 7 local elections uh, you, I believe you always have the local elections for the governorships and the you know, municipal mayors about two or three months after the general elections. I think it's, it's a funny system, you know, to have it so soon after. I think you should either, you should either have it at the same time or, may, or perhaps as a midterm sort of thing. Because when you have it a few months after, you get all kinds of strange political distortions. And I think that's what we saw. It was a mixed bag in reality for, for the movement towards socialism. In a lot of places, they, they, they won big, uh, won outright uh, in Potosí, uh, in Oruro, um, in Cochabamba with a you know, crushing majority. But there are a number of local factors that you know, affected the result. And I think international analysts would look at that and be like, ah, and try and draw wider lessons. For example, in the city of El Alto, El Alto is, uh, I would say, the Latin America's primary rebel city, uh, revolutionary city, has been the place from, from which uh, successive neoliberal governments in Bolivia have been overthrown. And of course, a bastion of the movement towards socialism, 
in 2020, they won with over 70% of the vote there. But because of a very sort of local dispute that was had between, you know, in the, in the couple of months prior, their sort of most high-profile figure called Eva Coppa had a sort of a personal falling out with other sections of the party. So she ran, you know, on her own platform and was able to win. And I think, you know, as someone, you know, who, I mean, my own family lives in El Alto, I know that, you know, there's always these kinds of sort of local disputes and conflicts. But it was, it was quite annoying uh, to see <laughs> various international media outlets sort of writing articles about how the city of El Alto has turned its back on the movement towards socialism. There's a split within the ranks of the party. Uh, yeah, this, this is not something that, that fits with reality. This is, in fact, something that happens almost every local election. It happened at the last local elections. Um, and that's because, you know, various places in Bolivia, um, you know, have various local factors. Uh, so I, I wouldn't read too much into the to the local elections that took place uh, in Bolivia. I think Bolivians as a whole uh, are really rebellious. Yeah, <laughs> Bolivians are, Bolivians are rebels, and that's partly why Anyas was unable to govern. Um, and the movement towards socialism has been able to always sort of maintain that energy behind it. That doesn't mean that within itself it has all kinds of conflicts, it has all kinds of internal disputes, uh, people demanding their certain positions within the state apparatus. Um, and because that's, it, it tells you a lot about the character of the movement towards socialism in, in government, of the Bolivian state, because the movement towards socialism is not simply some progressive party or left-wing party that takes power and enacts a number of progressive policies. The movement towards socialism is a coalition of social movements. And that, that makes it incredibly powerful as a movement. It also means that once you take power, um, yeah, you know, the movement towards socialism creates uh, an environment where different movements, groups, workers' groups, indigenous groups can participate. Um, and that is, of course, very democratic. It opens up the institutions of the states as a social movement. But the, the contradiction in there is that, well, so, some people want this, other people want that, and <laughs> there can be uh, a clash within that forces of which movements will have a responsibility for what things, for example. Or, I mean, there's always a, a, a fight over who's going to be the Minister of Agricultural Development, for example. The movement towards socialism is overwhelmingly supported by indigenous rural voters um, and social movements. But you know, there's, um, there's uh, social movements in the Amazon, there's social movements in the Andes, in the valleys. Who's, where's the minister of agriculture going to come from? Is he, you know, which which social movement is he going to come from? And everyone wants to put their own person. It's one of the is one of the problems you could say, but I think one of the growing pains of building a sort of participatory state. Now, as you mentioned, Arsa won with a very solid majority, 55% of the vote. Uh, and he basically, of course, promised to undo the coup government's right-wing policies, which were quite numerous, uh, given that it was only in office for a year. And then also to, of course, continue Evo Morales' uh, legacy. But uh, what concretely has he been able to do in the eight months or so that he has been in office so far? 
Luis Arce was the economy minister under Evo Morales. Um, and, I mean, he's, he's an economist. He is, uh, studied economics both in Bolivia and in the UK. He studied his master's is from Warwick University. He's a very advanced economist. Um, and he was, you know, the brains behind the social economic model built under Evo Morales' government, which is based around the nationalization of natural resources um, and sort of having the state as an entrepreneur, as, an, as, a, as a force within the economy, generating revenues that can be brought into the state and then spent on things like infrastructure, social programs, etc. That model was completely destroyed last year within you know, a couple of months, really, because what happened after the coup was that the huge network of state industries that exist in Bolivia, the four, the, formed the largest, you know, the most important sections of the economy, were all closed out, all with the exception of the, the gas industry. Um, just, just near here where I'm sitting, there's an, a vast, vast giant plant producing fertilizer, for example, not only for the national market, but for export. That was built by Evo Morales' government. In fact, it was launched in the last year before the coup. The coup government, and yes, simply closed it down, closed the factory gates, fired all the workers and of course the logic is that um, you know the, the economy should be driven by the free market shouldn't have the state as the leading force within it therefore you have to shrink the size of the state um, and, and allow the invisible hand of, of the market or however people characterize it to, to work its magic the reality of what happened was that you know with the closure of all these state industries and development projects was just, uh, just mass unemployment. Unemployment more than tripled within the first few months. Uh, the poverty was just evident, you know, across the streets. Uh, it, it was a really, really dire economic situation. And all of this was before the pandemic. So by the end of Anya's rule, she'd say, well, of course there was an economic crisis. You know, we were faced with an unprecedented uh, COVID crisis which of course is true, and the, the, the pandemic destroyed economies everywhere in the world. But this economic crisis started before, with the paralyzation of all this. Another example is the lithium industry. Lith Bolivia had just started in the uh, salt flats of Uyuni. Evan Morales had built two processing plants for potassium chloride. Um, and we're starting to be able to build batteries and things like this. Again, just in one day to the next, just completely closed down, the factory gets closed. It, it seems like madness, you know, it seems like it's a deliberate economic vandalism. And that's what it was essentially, was the state retreating from its role within the economy. So now, um, the number one, absolute number one uh, task of Luis Arce's government is rebuilding the economy. Um, returning Bolivia to the economic growth it had under Evo Morales. And in that, I think there's been some really interesting things going on. Already Bolivia in the first quarter had a growth of 5.5% in GDP, the first you know sign of growth in, in, in over a year. So that's incredibly positive. Unemployment is down by 4%, um, from 11% uh, to, to 7%. And that's something that I figure is continuing to fall. And part of it is driven precisely because Luis Arce is reactivating all of the projects that Henny Anya closed. These are projects that he himself built with Evan Morales and that he is now 
launching again. So the factory I talked about producing fertilizer, that's already they're already starting to open that. That should be in the next couple of months. That should be at full capacity once again. Um, uh, all sorts. There's the the, the lithium, of course, is, is set to be reopened. Number of infrastructure projects. The building the dual carriageway, the highway between Cochabamba and Santa Cruz, completely paralyzed last year. Now it's back on. You know, all of these big capitals of infrastructure projects that were frozen by you know, due to neoliberal reforms are now being turned on again. Um, so the effect of doing that is to reignite the economy in a really important way. Um, this is of course going to be a slow process. You know the building the highways that were you know trashed last year is going to take a year, two years, three years perhaps. But it's something that has started at least, and this uh, people are starting to note the the differences. The economy is starting to reopen again. One last question. Uh, when uh, Luis Asta was running for president, everybody was claiming that he would be just uh, Evo Morales' puppet. And of course, uh, and Luis Asta, of course, tried to maintain his independence when he was running. But uh, clearly, Evo Morales is back in Bolivia. I, apparently, he played a bit of a role in the uh, regional elections. But um, what is his role, more largely speaking, in Bolivia at the moment? Yeah, I think this. Um... It's a really, really important issue uh, because Evo Morales, I think not just for Bolivians, but for social movements, indigenous movements around, you know, across Latin America, is more than just a transitory president that can come in and come out. He represents uh, a turning point in Bolivian history and a leadership that had lacked, that was lacking before he burst onto the political scene. A, a deep leadership, you know, um, a very deep level. And yeah, I remember during the election campaign, uh, there was, you know, on the one hand people saying, as is just a puppet of Evo Morales, and there was other uh, maybe wishful thinking from some sort of, uh, you know, mainstream media, foreign correspondents saying, well, hopefully, I'd say will be like a Lenny Moreno in Ecuador. We'll turn his back. He, you know, he's he's not like Evan Morales. Luis Arce is, is a middle class person from the city, from La Paz. Um, you know, with graduate studies, uh, and maybe he's now going to be a, a moderate. He's going to be a sort of a Lenny Moreno type figure and undo the radicalism of Evan Morales' period. That has not happened. Luis Arce is from a middle class background. Luis Arce never, you know, didn't rise up through the ranks of the social movements like Evo Morales did. But he's very committed ideologically to the project. He was the architect of the economic side of the project of, of, of the last 14 years under Evo Morales. So he's deeply committed and he's um, just like in Venezuela, you know, uh, embracing Nicolas Maduro, uh, saluting the Cuban revolution. And, you know, today the headlines in the Bolivian papers were like, Luis Hans is cozying up to, you know, the Castro Chavista, etc., etc. So we can see that there was, you know, that the betrayal that people thought was going to happen uh, has not materialized. Um, and, yeah, I think the, the role of Evo in this is incredibly important. I think a lot of ex-presidents dedicate themselves to, you know, becoming businessmen and enriching themselves. Wherever Morales 
Evan Morales' role now is this political leader of the movement towards socialism. He is the president of the movement towards socialism as a, as a party. Uh, he's the president of the six federations of the Tropico of Cochabamba, which is the Coca Growers Union that he led. He's, you know, uh, back as president of that, which, and it, that's the most important social movement in the country. So the country has the most control over the party. Um, and Evan Morales is building a number of international projects. He launched uh, the organization Runasur, was it's due to be launched. And that is a, an alliance of social movements in South America, primarily indigenous social movements. Um, and he has become essentially an international leader, but not at a state level, you know, not as a politician, but as a leader of people, as a leader of, of movements, of workers, of campesinos. Um, so I think that's the role he's going to take, of having a sort of moral leadership, a political leadership, uh, without the trappings of the sort of state bureaucracy that he maybe had before. Um, but of course his, his relationship with the state is is very fluid, of course. Um, he has meetings with Luis Arce very regularly, but his role is primarily as at the basis, at the rank and file of the social movement. Okay, well, we're going to leave it there for now. I was speaking to Ali Vargas, journalist with Casachuan News, uh, based in Cochabamba, Bolivia. We'll provide a link also to your website uh, so people can find it in the description. Thanks again, Ali, for having joined me today. No, thank you. And thanks to our viewers and listeners for joining the analysis. Please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to donate something at the website, theanalysis.news, so we can continue providing uh, programming such as this.